everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Apparently, it's Black T-shirt day. Apparently, it is. If you're <laughs> watching on YouTube, you will know why. Ah, <laughs> oh, Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast. Make sure you tell your friends about it. If you do, DC will, in fact, let you choose the next movie that gets canceled. And that is a power you will want. And if you don't, you will get complimentary tickets to Batgirl. Yes, indeed. And that brings us to what will be in our episode today. We've got an excellent show. We will talk about the box office and what's upcoming this week. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger turns 75, so we have to get into that a little bit. Uh, We will cover the fact that Batgirl got canned. And we will break down Nope along with our watch list. All right, let's get started. We got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Box office. Last week, um, the week of July 29th through 31st, uh, number one in the box office in its debut, DC League of Super Pets, the uh, children's cartoon, made $23 million. Nope, in week two, made $18.6 million. Thor Love and Thunder in its week four uh, did 13.2 million. Uh, that movie is at 301 million for its box office run. Uh, Minions The Rise of Gru did 11 million to top 320 million. And of course, for the 10th straight week in the top five, Top Gun Maverick, 8.4 million. Total is over 650 million domestically. Rob, what do you make of the box office? Yeah, that Top Gun number is just, it seems like it continues to impress <laughs> the longer and longer it goes. The fact that a movie could be out for almost three months at this point and still be in the top five of the box office is mm-hmm. insane um, yeah. compared to what we have typically been seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not surprised that the League of Super Pets is number one, given all the star power that was involved in it um certainly did not like meet the level of minions though which made far more um to start out with um so I, I i'm not surprised where that ended up one thing that i found interesting that is not in the top five of the box office was that elvis passed 100 million domestic it did and is uh i think last i saw 234 million worldwide something like that and the budget was 85. So yeah, that's very good pretty, pretty solid for uh, uh, a biopic yeah. um, movie. And I think you're going to see that one crop back up again later this fall once the uh, or early next year when the year end awards start coming out. I think you're going to see uh, Elvis back in theaters. I, yeah, that, that'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. Um, what I noticed, what I take from this is not anything about a specific movie but just about this was not a big weekend for the box office. Um, When your top movie only does $23 million, uh, that meant people did not spend most of this past weekend in the box office. Uh, So there are some weekends that are like that. You know, most of the other movies have been out for a few weeks and uh, the number, the new debuts were not that prominent. Therefore, not a lot of people went to the theater, but hey, some weeks are like that. 
Yeah. Uh, DC League of Super Pets being the biggest profile one, not surprised. I did. I wasn't sure how much uh, Nope would drop off in week two. Um, had a decent drop off, but not not a terrible total for its week two. All right. Uh, that's last week in the box office. Now, upcoming this week, we have three movies that are coming out. Uh, a movie I have been waiting for, one of the top movies I was looking forward to this summer, uh, Bullet Train comes out this week. And this one stars Brad Pitt, Joey King, and a bunch of other people. And it's five assassins aboard the last bullet train, or aboard a fast bullet train, uh, find out their missions have something in common. Uh, so if you've seen the trailers for this one, this one looks fantastic. It's kind of a mix of action comedy uh, coming out. Uh, next up is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday uh, starring uh, Joe Coy and Lydia Gaston. And this is set around a family gathering to celebrate Easter Sunday the comedy is based on Joe Coy's life experience and stand-up comedy. Interesting to me that Easter Sunday is not coming out near Easter Sunday, but very far away from Easter Sunday, really. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of about almost as far away from Easter Sunday as you can get without yeah. back around the other side. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, this is going to be a comedy. Obviously, this is based around the life of the stand-up comedian, so. Uh, enjoy that uh, and the last one is bodies 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 and i believe this is another a24 release uh, but it's when a group of 20 somethings plan a hurricane party at a remote family mansion a party game turns deadly in the fresh and funny look at backstabbing fake friends and one party gone very very wrong uh, so this is uh, Amand Amandla Stenberg, Maria Baklova, Rachel Sinet. Um, I've not heard of any of these people individually. Uh, but there you go. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, uh, basically like a teen twenty something party gone wrong type uh, movie. Uh, Rob, what intrigues you? Uh, so uh, first of all, a little peek behind the curtain here. If you had access to the show notes, you would have seen that Ryan called the movie Bulletin Train in the uh, show notes, which made me think <laughs> of an aggressive preschool teacher. But um, autocorrect, man. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bulletin Train uh, coming right on schedule. Um, I am actually going to tip the apple cart here and go off the board because. You didn't mention one of the movies that's coming out this week because it's not coming out in the theater, but it is still a movie. Okay. And that is debuting on Hulu on Friday, the movie Prey. Prequel mm -hmm. to The Predator. Yes. And it is supposed to be uh, pretty good from what I've heard from all accounts. I'm kind of surprised it's not being released in the theater. It was originally planned as a theatrical release. Um, the reason why this is debuting on Hulu and not in the theater um, just to give you a little background uh, for those who might not know, is that when Disney acquired the rights to the Fox studio, 20th Century Fox, this was a movie that was in the very final stages of production. But Disney has decided that they do not want to release it in the theater. So it is a viewing on Hulu instead. 
um, yeah. and that will be this Friday. But to me, it counts as a movie coming out, even though it's not in the theater. <laughs> so I'm most excited about seeing Prey on Friday. Um, but I am also uh, intrigued um, a little bit by Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, the trailers I've seen seem to make it look like it'll be kind of satirical and uh, making fun of some of the uh, culture that's happening around us, especially with uh, younger people. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to keep my eye on. Um, what was the first one again? Bullet, Bullet Train. Yeah, I am interested in Bullet Train. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt always seems to deliver. Yeah. He is someone who puts, definitely puts his mark on a movie when he's in it. Someone who takes the time to do his roles well. And I think this is going to sound kind of ridiculous as a statement, but I really believe it's true. I, I think Brad Pitt is underrated. I agree. Um, because I think he has been viewed as like this sex symbol or um, guy who's just, you know, there to be a pretty face or whatever. But I, I think he's a much more talented actor than he has been given credit for. Yeah. I think even in movies like Ocean's Eleven or, um, well, that's the big one for me. Even yeah. in a movie like that, I think he did a phenomenal job. Well, and this is where, I mean, you have people who have longevity because they're good at one particular thing. Namely, I mean, look at like Liam Neeson, for example. He's very good at a specific thing and there's always a market for that specific. Did you say he has a specific set of skills? I did. I didn't (laughs) quite say that, but I did mean it. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. but he he deserves he de- I mean Brad Pitt deserves to be in there as the top actors of his generation. I mean he's still going decades later. He uh, is not typecast in one specific type of role. He can play in a variety of movies at a variety of different levels. He's always good and always compelling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bullet Train. I love the combination of the action the train and the Japanese aesthetic. Uh, I think that makes for visually that gives you the opportunity to create a really, really interesting movie. And it seems like there's going to be a good balance of the action and the comedy to it, uh, which I think will make for a fun late summer uh, blockbuster type movie. It's not going to, I mean, it's not obviously not going to do like the same type of numbers as a typical blockbuster, but I think it's going to have some of those elements yeah, I'm really interested in seeing what they do with it. It does look funny, and uh, there's a good amount of action, too. It yeah. looks like it will be a pretty stylistically shot movie, which you would have have to have happen, I guess, if you're on a train the yeah. entire movie. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, that is what's in the box office this week. So there's plenty of stuff in there, plenty of opportunity for you to go out and check out movies in the theater. Uh, now let's move to our discussion. And there's a big birthday in store. Yes, a Hollywood legend turned 75. And that is none other than Arnold. 
Yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger turned 75. And, uh, man, I got to say, is there anybody with a crazier uh, career path Mm -hmm. than Arnold Schwarzenegger? I mean, how do you go from being an Austrian bodybuilder to being an action star to being the governor of California? Uh, He's just he's had a very bizarre and interesting career path for sure. Yeah, I think you mean the governor of California. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh huh. So, uh, just a little background on him. He has over fifty credits. Uh, to his name, over $4 billion worldwide box office, uh, and he ranks in the among the 40 highest grossing uh, movie stars of all time, hmm. which is uh, pretty amazing. That's a pretty amazing career uh, for someone. And, uh, you know, he is clearly more on the action side, but he has done well on the comedy fronts as well. Uh, what, what do you think about when you think about art? Arnold. Well, first of all, I think you obviously think of the action roles. I mean, he is the Terminator. Yeah. So, like, that's iconic. Um, And then you think about uh, some of the other things he's done uh, comedy-wise, like you said, with Junior or uh, Kindergarten Cop or Mm -hmm. uh, Jingle All the Way, movies like that. Yeah. He has shown that he has a funny side as well, too. Mm-hmm. yeah for sure um i think i think what stands out to me is he is his accent is so unique and quotable um between the accent and his facial expressions i think those are the two things that really just stand out when you think about Arnold. um there is, uh, I think it's, I think I'm, I might get this name wrong, but there's actually, there's a, a death metal band called, I think it's like Austrian death metal or something like that, uh, that basically just plays metal music and then overlays it to Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. So he is just like, if you ask anybody, almost anybody in the U.S. can give you an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation and probably list three or four quotes from Arnold. He's just that, like, it's just his moments are that iconic. Even though some of the films are not always that great, like, he is iconic. Yeah, my wife told me that uh, if if my Arnold Schwarzenegger impression didn't improve, she was going to make me leave, but don't worry. (laughs) I'll return. (laughs) <laughs> oh, geez. all right we got a lot of work to do <laughs> uh so let's, let's let's get into that a little bit like do you have do you have personal favorite arnold quotes uh hmm get to the chopper, get to the chopper. <laughs> yes yes excellent excellent yeah. um i also enjoy in jingle all the way how they um paraphrase and change some of his other previously famous quotes <laughs> which is great yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, um, i just i just like uh you know and obviously i'll be back is yes you know, probably one of the most quoted lines in the history of movies yes uh-huh 
uh, for me, I, there's, there's so many good quotes from uh, Kindergarten Cop. I think that's one of his most quotable ones where uh, it's not a tumor. Yeah. It's not a tumor. Who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> uh, it's, he, is, he is ridiculously quotable. I love it. Uh, okay. So let's, as we reflect on the career of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I thought we'd go back and forth on, uh, we have each of us make our, our own personal list of our five favorite uh, Arnold movies. Uh, so let's go, let's go back and forth on this one. Give me one off your list. Um, so I would say that I think that they belong together as like all, th- all three, I think mm. there's three movies, but I think you do have to give the expendable some credit, which was mm. not mentioned in the article that yeah we looked at, but, um, I think those movies kind of, uh, made him relevant to a newer generation mm-hmm. or kept him relevant with the newer generation yeah. because, um, you know, whether you like action movies or not, I think they were pretty well done for yeah. what they were. And they came out at the exact right time before those guys got too old. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a hall of fame of action movies, of action heroes. And it was kind of one last hurrah for that entire generation of action stars. And and aside from the nostalgic, they did manage to create some pretty good action movies. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um one on my list is uh, I mentioned it earlier. It has to be Kindergarten Cop uh, from his comedy side. I think it's the best one of his comedy uh, movies, and uh, it is interesting because the first two thirds of it's a comedy, and the last one third is like like severe drama (laughs) there's like a tone shift right there which is a little abrupt at times uh but putting arnold around children was just a brilliant idea it really was it was a brilliant concept that arnold executed amazingly so one of my favorites and uh one of my favorite christmas movies of all time is jingle all the way so i have to include that in my list just because yeah i think he plays the desperate father looking to do anything to make his son's Christmas uh, go well, perfectly. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sinbad is also great in the Mm -hmm. movie. They have a great back and forth. And it's even got some action in it at the end. So, yeah, I think think it's a Christmas movie that pretty much um, everyone in a family could like. And I don't know if that's true of a whole lot of movies. So I think that's why Mm -hmm. it deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, and it did perfectly capture uh, what really seemed like a late 90s craze where there would be one particular toy that year that everyone would just go nuts for, and it would be ridiculously hard to find. Uh, that was that was a big thing in the late 90s, and, and this movie really captured that dynamic pretty well. Uh, we'll go with uh, another one for me, uh, Twins with uh, Danny DeVito. That's it's kind of a classic comedy staple where you take the really big guy and pair him with the really short guy. And there's just a natural comedic element. Um, I was just watching tonight. I was just watching some Seinfeld and you saw that when they would do Mickey and Kramer and, and the comedy interplay between those two was really excellent. Uh, but Danny DeVito is an excellent actor on that. So twins was a lot of fun. Um, switching gears a little bit, I think you've got to obviously mention Terminator. 
Yeah. Uh, and I would say Terminator 1 and 2. Yeah. Probably both deserve recognition if you're talking about mm-hmm. a top five list. Terminator 2 being probably one of the few sequels that is at least as good as, if not better than the original. Yeah. And and it had, it was, it was, it was peak Arnold. Peak Arnold action, action star. Uh, really, really did a good job of taking advantage of. They basically saw what went went well, uh, what what went well in Terminator, and then up the ante in Terminator Two. Yeah, absolutely. And they they took advantage of had the opportunity to use some groundbreaking technology too, yeah. which even um, watch rewatching today, it's obviously dated, but it doesn't look horrible. Yeah. Um, so for it to come out when it did the way it did is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one I got to mention is uh, True Lies. True Lies was a a quintessential uh, comedy or not comedy. I mean, like drama action movie. Um, it it brought uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was excellent in that movie as well. In addition to Arnold, and I just. I love the uh, I love the kind of sequencing and, and plot, uh, basically the turn of the twist and the turns that that the movie took. Um, it's just it it's one of those movies that represents super well uh, a genre, which is you know I, I've spent a lot of time going through '90s uh, action movies, and True Lies is one that absolutely uh, encapsulates that that genre. Um, and I also think you uh, have to mention Predator. We're mm-hmm. talking about the prequel to Predator that's coming out this weekend. Yeah. Um, to kick off like what became a multi-million dollar franchise. Uh, and it's interesting how serious the uh, first Predator movie is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They they uh, they really sold you on the stakes of what was going on with the with the alien incursion. So um, I think, you know, uh, you have to, you have to consider predator. You do. Well, I think we've hit, uh, I think we've hit most of the best movies from Arnold. I mean, we didn't talk about Conan the barbarian, but you know, Hey, <laughs> that's all right. Can't hit everything. Wow. But yeah, Arnold turned 75 guys. And um, it felt like a good time to reflect on that. And, and the contributions Arnold has made to the movie landscape and to the lines that are stuck in all of our brains for all time. And of course, one of the best accents. All right, so now we got to move on to another story, which is interesting, sad, funny. I don't know, we'll see. Batgirl gets canned. That's right, Batgirl has gotten canned. Uh, Batgirl uh, was a movie that we've all heard about for a long time now, and Warner Brothers has decided not to release the movie at all. No streaming, no theaters, nothing. Dead as a door now. Really fascinating story, this one. Um, this, uh, just to give you a little background, uh, this was a, a, a movie that was originally slated at a $75 million budget turned into a 95 or 90 million dollar budget the principal shooting was done uh, almost everything about the film was completed 
it had a decent amount of stars. It had Leslie Grace from In the Heights. Uh, it had Michael Keaton returning as Batman. J.K. Simmons was in this one. Brendan Fraser was in it. And it's done. They killed it. Uh, now, the reasoning is rather interesting on this one. Um, basically, what has happened is that there was, uh, as, as Warner Brothers uh, merged into the new company with, with Discovery and all of those type of things, the, the CEO at the top is new, and he completely reversed, his goal was to completely reverse everything the previous CEO had done, which was really heavily streaming favored. And the previous CEO is the one who famously uh, brought all of Warner Brothers content uh, directly to HBO Max same day of release in 2021, uh, which had up and down effects for sure. Uh, but basically their new CEO decided to reverse all of that. And the story, which we'll link to an article about, the story basically says that Batgirl kind of got caught in between. It wasn't a big enough movie to be something that would feature in a box office and they didn't feel like spending the millions and millions to promote it and to upgrade it to a bigger stature. It was also too bloated to just dump on the streaming service. And so what it appears is that they're just gonna take the tax rate off for it, which they've decided is the most economical way to make money off of this. Rob, what do you make of this story? This is kind of crazy. Yeah, first of all, I'm sad for Brendan Fraser that we don't get to see him in this, although he is coming out and uh, within the year, he'll be in Darren Aronofsky's movie, The Whale, um, yeah. as a main character. So looking forward to that, but I wish I could have seen him in something else, too. Um, it does. Uh, it, it, it's fascinating. And you wonder, and I, I've seen this said by some people cynically that you wonder if they're trying to get some groundswell of mm -hmm. oh no release the movie like yeah petition to get it released like uh the snyder cut um yeah thing happened but i just don't feel like there's as much of uh desire or clamoring that would happen mm -hmm. for this movie so if they're trying to do that i don't think it's going to work out for them I, yeah it's really hard to imagine spending almost $100 million on something and not releasing it at all. And I can't, I can't say I completely buy the idea that this was just caught in between release for streaming and, and theater. There has to be, I have to feel like if they were at all proud of this film, of what they accomplished, that they would release it. There has mm -hmm. to be something. I have to feel like there's something. This says something about the quality of what was made. I mean, maybe I'm off off kilter here, but I feel like even if you released a slightly lower budget film uh, on theater and streaming, and you were if you thought it was a good film, I think you'd want it out there. Yeah, the word is that it was not screening very well, but even then, you adjust things and re release the movie yeah you would think yeah yeah it's it's a very very strange story and i'm wondering if like what what does this do for dc i mean dc's brand already has some 
some tarnish on it because they have not been able to uh, feel like they have any sort of cohesion to what they're releasing or any sort of flow to how they're handling their superheroes. Not to mention they've had a lot of, they've had a lot of poor movies um, and they just haven't been able to compound release upon release where, where they're, where they're putting things out of quality that people can count on. This has to be a, a black eye for DC. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know how many more eyes they have left. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it's like that old joke. What do you tell a guy with two black eyes? <laughs> you already told him twice. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that it does seem like there's a little bit of that with DC. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how the tax. I mean, this is a lot of like inside studio head back, back room type stuff. I don't know what kind of tax write off you can get for for a movie. I don't know what the the legal uh things that you do that allow that i i mean it seems to me that it'd be hard to say that it's is that that's really your best plan but maybe it is um but to kill to kill a project that the, had this much publicity to it is is very strange mm-hmm. what would you have done with this if if the situation were uh what what they're claiming it to be what what would your what would your thoughts have been would you have spent the money to beef it up or just what confuses me is that what i what i've read they were thinking they wanted to move it from streaming to a theatrical release yeah but then completely changed their mind so i just i don't really understand why they couldn't release it on a streaming service yeah i think that's what i would have done um because you would think it would generate some revenue that way but um i guess they're thinking that utilizing the tax write-offs for it will be more successful than that which is just it does seem pretty hard to comprehend Mm -hmm. i just i think it always also it always just comes down to me like if you believed in a project you would back it one way or the other you would back it if you thought that what they had here was solid you would go through what it takes to make it to beef it up and and give it the marketing budget that it needs and roll it out that's i mean that's my thought on it if it was worth rolling out if you like the project You'd, you'd do what it takes to release it. And and the idea that you don't even want it out on streaming, um, I just don't buy the tax budget thing, I guess. But I don't know. Uh, so that, that leads me to a bit of a question on this. Like, is what, what do you think? Like, I mean, you can throw this to Batgirl or you can throw this to kind of anything else. Is it better to not release a bad movie and get the negative publicity to a movie that nobody has seen or to release it. What do you, what do you think is better? Is it better to kill a bad movie or release it and face the, uh, which, which is worse from a PR standpoint, do you think? 
I think it's probably better to release a bad movie because either right away or eventually a group of people will fall in love with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's good or not. I, I think almost every movie there are people who like the movie. Yeah. And sometimes you like the movie because of how bad it is. Heck, I like Battlefield Earth, man. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to be said for a truly not great movie. Yeah. There, there are a lot of media, very mediocre movies mm-hmm. out there. And it's funny having that experience there every once in a while. You'll go see movies you want to see in the theater and you'll be like, oh, this movie's great. This movie's great. This movie's great. And you kind of forget that bad movies exist until you see one again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially as you get more discerning with what you what you know is going to be good and what you know you'll like and not like, you manage to avoid more bad movies. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fascinating. I I don't know. I think there's a part of me that like wants to uphold a quality standard. And it's like if you if you just put out a bunch of junk, like the hit to your reputation is going to be such that it might be better just to kill it and take the short-term PR hit uh, because you and I will find out about it. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. this movie didn't get released. The average person probably is never going to hear about that girl. They didn't know about it. They didn't know it was coming out. They didn't like it. It just life goes on without whatever. Um, mm-hmm. More people will see a bad movie. More people will be like, why does this movie exist? If you release it. Um, but I'm kind of with you. I think you should just let it, let it fly. You know, let it go out and roll with it. If you let it get this far, see it the whole way through, release it. Okay, well, that's Batgirl. And uh, now let's move on to our, our last discussion topic. Uh, let's, let's get into Nope a little bit. Both of us have had a chance to see it. Uh, the latest release from Jordan Peele. It's been out for two weeks now. And uh, let's talk about it. So give our, we'll do like we do with a lot of our, uh, reviews. We'll do a brief take with no spoilers, and then we'll get into some specifics about the movie. Uh, but we'll give you a warning first. All right. Basic thoughts, no spoilers. Uh, the ability of Jordan Peele to build tension is just mm. top class. Mm-hmm. I got like, we'll get, we'll probably get into some more specifics when we break it down in the spoilery part of the review but uh he's able to make you sit on the edge of your seat emotionally if you Mm -hmm. want to say it that way um and i think that his directing style leads the people who are involved in the movies i think i think he is able to bring out um bring out the best of this kind of style out of people um which i think there's something to be said for that i think you say like the same kind of thing for different directors when it comes to different genres of movies um but there's there's uh there's a real there's a realism to what is going on in his movies even if the um idea of what is happening is way out there Mm -hmm. like this movie was it still felt um still felt grounded which makes it like scarier to me Hmm. um so i i I just think that overall i think he did a really fascinating job of building 
um, the tone in this movie through the main story and through the other story that was happening in the movie. We can talk about when we um, get a little farther here in the yeah. talking about it. Um, the biggest takeaways for me were one, if you're on the fence about seeing this movie, it is not a horror movie. I don't think it belongs in the genre of horror, uh, which is unusual because that's what Jordan Peele is known for. Um, it fits well within a, a, a broad category of, of sci-fi thriller. And, um, it fits right within a specific genre of that, which we'll get into uh, a little bit more when we get into the actual movie. Um, but there are, there are a number of comparable movies uh, that if you're not a horror fan, you will still appreciate this movie. And even if you are a horror fan, there's still enough in there that you will like. Uh, the performances are solid. Uh, Jordan Peele does an excellent job, like you said, creating that tension and, and navigating his story in such a way where there's always something going on, but the pacing is not like he doesn't rush through this movie, but there's always something happening, which is an interesting, it's an interesting and, and um, speaks to a, a level of sophistication in directing. Um, it's a director who knows what he's, who knows what he's doing is comfortable with his style, I think is what, what gets revealed to me. Um, it's a solid movie. All right. Well, let's get into the specifics. Uh, we This is your spoiler alert. If you do not want to know any specifics about what happens in the movie, you can skip over to the next section in the podcast. All right, Rob. Uh, what did you like about it? Yeah, so like you said, I think it's definitely... Um more of a psychological thriller than it is mm -hmm. um, a horror movie. I do think there are moments in the movie that are horrific. Yes. Um, think about the monkey going crazy and killing an entire group of people on a soundstage. That's one. Yeah. Um, and I think that's directly tied into uh, when the monster comes and uh, swallows up a whole group of people um, preparing to see it come. Mm -hmm. um, I I think I, I I really found how he built that story of what was actually going on to be fascinating because the first time that one of the characters says that it's not a ship, you don't exactly know what they're saying, mm -hmm. and it's like slowly revealed over over time through the movie that the ship is actually the creature. So like, in a, I don't know if this is where you're going, but um, in a lot of ways, this is a monster movie. And I, it certainly, I, it was not, um, it wasn't marketed as that, but I don't think there was a way that they could have marketed it as that mm -hmm. without giving away the big, like the big reveal of what it actually looks like at the end. Yeah. Yeah. For me, uh, the, the big thing surrounding this is um, this is in a long, this film is another, the newest entrance in a long line of films that deal with alien encounters. Like that sci-fi element of alien encounters. 
Um, my biggest comparable, the movie I, I think it most compares to is Signs. That is immediately what I thought of as I watched this movie is like, this is, this is right in line with a movie like Signs. There's even a little bit of like Arrival in it, although Arrival has a much more psychological element to it and, and has, I would say, a little bit more complexity and, and it's a little bit more genre bending. But it fits right along those lines of aliens arrive on Earth and encounter humans and and that that whole thing surrounding it. independence day goes into that um there's a bunch of movies that fit in this genre a quiet place i think is this is a similar is another one that, that's comparable and similar and with all of those with all of those movies the big the big question for the director is how and when do you reveal the alien how and when do you reveal it do you just hold that tension and wait and show very, very little, or do you come right out? Do you come right out and show it earlier in the film? And how you navigate that can be the success that can determine whether this movie is successful or not. And some directors do it better than others, and some choose differently. I thought it was interesting how they unfolded the story with this particular creature. Um, and I think I think he navigated that well. I think he held the tension in in suspense as to what it was for just long enough, and then it and then the movie switched into okay. Now we know what. Now we we have to figure out how. And that's and that shift I thought was perfectly balanced, which which was uh, which is really cool to see. Yeah, I thought um, the. One thing that really impressed me because I was probably like um, most people who saw the movie, very confused by how the movie started. <laughs> In fact, wondering if how the movie started was actually an extension of the previous movie studio credit sequence. I know, I know, especially because I haven't seen a lot of Jordan Peele movies. So I'm like, is this part of his like, you know, every movie studio like Bad Robot has the like the little robot weaving yeah. through the yeah. like, okay. The guy's a horror director. Maybe this is his credit thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I thought that the interweaving of the two stories, especially when it related to um Steven Yun's character motivation, was really well done. Hmm. Um, and that's after I think I need to see it a couple more times because I think I'll I'll, I'll catch on with some things even more watching it again. Um, but there was a lot going on there between how he re related to the monkey going wild when he was a kid compared to how he related to the monster mm -hmm. and how um, maybe he thought he could control it because he was able to be safe previously when he was younger. So he should be able to be safe now. Um, like he had some sort of power over chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a fascinating movie that it did hold the tension the whole way through. Like you were always expecting like something's coming, something's coming and, and good directors will mix in moments where they just kind of relieve that tension for a second. Uh, like the moment where you find out it's just uh, it's a bunch of kids in masks 
in his barn. It's like, that's just that little moment to just relieve that tension, like build it up, build it up, build it up, let it go, relieve it for a second before building it back up again. It's the, those little moments that help you uh, maintain uh, the flow and the sense of tension that's going out. It's like, okay, this isn't the big event. We can calm down for a second. Um, those little moments of release are really helpful and, and pretty fascinating. I, I also think it's, uh, it's really interesting that they chose to call the movie what they did. Mm-hmm. And because there are a couple of times in the movie where the word nope happens. And, and I think in particular, the time, when Daniel Kaluuya's in his truck and he looks out and looks up and sees the alien and slowly closes the door and gets back in like the entire, everyone knows he's about mm-hmm. to say no. And it was just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, uh, what did you make of the, the two main actors uh, on this one um, with Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer? So I think I saw someone say this and I agree with it, that uh, Kaluuya might be one of the best actors with his eyes mm-hmm. in working because he was able to um, express a lot of emotion and thought without saying a whole lot. Um, I think the, the one of the very first scenes where he's with the horse trying to get his sister to, you know, come over and participate and he's, like you can clearly tell he has no desire to be where he is mm-hmm. in that moment, just wants to be away from people. Um, it's interesting to see him have to kind of open up from that in order to, you know, protect his family and himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was phenomenal. It's, anyway. it's interesting to me. I, I'm of two minds on both the main performances. Um, Daniel Kaluuya had a very, very difficult job. This was this this was a very difficult acting task because his character is supposed to be very reserved, very silent, uh, lacking confidence and lacking in self-assuredness. And so as a result, he has to play a lot, a lot, a lot of his character with his body language. His body language, and like you said, his eyes, the way he looks around, uh, it's its varying degrees of subtlety. Um, it had to be an extremely understated performance. One of my thoughts, I'm, I'm going back and forth on this. I think he did a great job. I almost think he did too good of a job and that his performance was so understated that I don't know if it the payoff i think for his character i think almost almost was hurt by the fact of how understated he was in his acting um not completely because i still think uh he did a really really good job on it but it almost was like i said it's almost too good and i feel the same way with uh with kiki palmer's character um because she is the exact opposite of him loud bombastic uh, all over the place, constantly talking. Um, and they bounce each other off in that way. But I almost feel like the same way with her. Like it was almost the borderline of overacting at times. Mm-hmm. They, that combination worked really well together and still created tension. It's just, I'm almost, I'm almost wondering if it was a little too much. 
I think one thing that he did really well with is um, he created a bunch of characters that were all very different. Yeah. And that's not always the easiest thing to do mm-hmm. in a movie to make people who are so, um, you know, separate from each other, especially if you're trying to get them to join up and do something Yeah, together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he did a really great job of that. And yeah. I, I've already mentioned it, but I think Steven Yeun's uh, performance was very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because there's a lot, I I felt like there was a lot of um, background, emotional distress and stuff that went into that performance that you don't see right away in the movie, but you can feel something is going on Mm -hmm. with his character before you find out exactly what happened to him when he was younger. Yeah, and I I really liked uh, Daniel or Brandon Perea, uh, who played Angel. I thought that that character was a very necessary element to balance out, to give like kind of almost to give the audience's voice a voice in the middle of this family drama that was coming on. Like he's the outsider coming into this. Uh, he's the one who's kind of given the reality pitch to it, whereas the other two are very caught up in their in their personal dynamic, uh, he brings the outsider perspective to it, which uh, which was really well and provided a lot of the humor in the movie. Um, but yeah, you've had really four good standout performances in this in this film. Uh, was there anything you didn't like? Hmm, trying to think. I think it's it's really it's it's difficult to do a movie in in such a confined space. Like you say that like it's in this whole valley, but it is literally just a valley. Like yeah. it's literally just a couple miles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought the use of the terrain and everything was done really well. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the reveal of the alien. Mm-hmm. That would be the only thing, but I think that's something that I need to rewatch the movie a couple of times before I make a final yeah. decision on because it was really a like a, an, an explosion kind of mm-hmm. of like here's the thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because the whole time it's been surviving, hiding essentially in the form of a spaceship and then you see what it actually is. Yeah. Um, and this, this gets a little bit of what I said about the Kaluuya's performance and, and the understated nature of it. Um, but the solution to how you solve this alien problem um, it, in films like science, in films like Arrival, even I was thinking uh, War of the Worlds, where the solution to the alien presence presents itself in everyday life um, is a is a well-known, not overused, but is a well-known uh, thematic element to it. I didn't see as clear a connection in, in the behavior of the alien to lead to the connection with horses. You know, it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't quite like... It, I didn't quite, maybe I need to watch it again to see that it, it was there. Um, but basically, you know, Daniel Kaluuya 
comes up with this idea like, oh, these thing that I've been using with training horses is very similar to what how the aliens behaving. And so I'll treat it, I'll treat it a similar way. And I didn't see the connection. It was he basically gives it to us, uh, but I didn't see it in the film. I don't remember seeing it in the film prior to the reveal that, oh, this is what's going on. Um also the uh the the director the the film director as it was uh they did show like when his he goes up and basically gets himself eaten by the eaten by the alien monster um i initially had to think why would he do that and then i went back i'm like okay they did kind of set this up uh but it was really subtle mm -hmm. as it were um i'm i'm fine with that knowing that they did put it in there and they, they did put it but it was it was it was subtle borderline too subtle yeah i think uh in overall a very good movie yeah mm -hmm. it's absolutely worth seeing uh what last last real bit on this is what do you make of uh what do you make of it in terms of jordan peele's canon of films where do you place this one uh both within like because this is a different genre um this definitely breaks out into a slightly different genre than what he's used to how do you yeah i think it just opens it? opens him up to the possibility of further exploring uh different areas of filmmaking which i think uh i think he's capable of and i'm very interested in seeing what else he might do yeah okay all right, well, that's that. And let's uh, quickly hit up our watch list, movies that we watched over the past week. Rob, what'd you watch? So I watched, uh, not over the last week, I watched uh, Nope, obviously. And I also mm -hmm. um, did watch Elvis uh, this oh, week, nice. finally. And uh, have you seen Elvis? I still haven't. I need okay. to, I want to try and get to it, but I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I think it is really well done. It is almost three hours long. Yeah. Um, the, uh, first hour and a half to two hours feels just incredibly frenetic stuff is happening all the time um highly fast paced but i think that's a reflection of what elvis's career was like um so i felt like it was fitting um the story of what happened to him in the latter part of his career is really tragic and i think baz Luhrmann did a a, a good job of making that meaningful i think austin butler was fantastic uh he sings a lot of the stuff some of the stuff is in blended with elvis um but you can tell he definitely put a lot of effort into uh getting to the point where he could do this musically mm -hmm. and the one thing that one thing that impressed me having not really had a whole lot of interaction with elvis my interaction with elvis i think is the end of his career lounge singer in las vegas mm -hmm. that guy and there's so much more to who he was as a person yeah. And watching this movie and seeing some of the songs performed and listening to some of the lyrics, I I caught myself like looking up to see like, did he really write the song? And like some of the yeah. lyrics he wrote were like profound and and uh, challenging to the establishment and to people who wanted him to play and sing certain things. Um, he was much more uh, counterculture than than. I might have been led to believe or expected mm -hmm. um, and a very like introspective uh, 
person who like wrote some really deep stuff. Um, so I, it kind of opened my eyes to that a little bit. Um, and I think that just visually, obviously, if you're going to a, a Baz Luhrmann film, you would expect it to be visually uh, astounding. And it was that without a doubt. Yeah. Um, maybe to excess at times, but I thought overall it was a really well crafted movie. And then the other movie I had the distinct misfortune of watching because I have a daughter who just turned 12. <laughs> I can no longer say that I have not seen High School Musical because I have seen High School oh, Musical. Man. And okay. it is every bit as terrible as I had expected. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's too much wrong with it to even begin to talk about it. So I'm just <laughs> don't watch High School Musical unless you have to. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. Oh man. Uh, all right. Uh, I uh, obviously also saw Nope, uh, but I saw uh, one movie I watched was The Russia House. I've been going through a list of Cold War movies as I've been researching them and. Uh, just a reminder, uh, my piece about the top 10 Cold War movies is up on filmforfans.com. So make sure you go to filmforfans.com and check that out. Uh, but Russia House was a 1989 film with Sean Connery, um, where he plays like uh, a, a writer who is somewhat recruited by British intelligence and the CIA to, to kind of infiltrate and, and make connections in Russia. Um, it was okay. Uh, it was also based on a John le Carre novel, uh, same as Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Uh, it didn't have a, it didn't have a bunch of payoff to, to me. I, I was never that intrigued with the, with the movie the whole time I was running through it. Um, Sean Connery is Sean Connery, so he's always interesting. Um, but it was just okay. So that's what I'll say about Russia House. Uh, it definitely did not make my list for best Cold War movies. Um, the last one I saw, uh, once again, it was on TV this week, was Moneyball. I really, it's just such a good film. It's such a good film. It was so well written, well directed. Um, really captures the essence of what that particular era of baseball was about and what the A's were going through in, in that time. And um, it's just such an incredible story. And I think Aaron Sorkin is one of the best screenwriters of the generation. And um, what he did with Moneyball along with uh, Brad Pitt, again, we're talking about Brad Pitt and how excellent Brad Pitt is at acting. And this is another uh, dramatic role for him that went really, really well. And uh, I've been a big baseball fan. I love it. All right. All right. Well, that is the show. Uh, just a reminder to visit filmforfans.com. Check us out on YouTube. And uh, until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>